What's up, everybody? Welcome into Pace the Nation broadcasting back here at Studio 1A in downtown Arlington, Virginia. We are back after a one week hiatus. We are back in the heart of everything that is Clarendon. Back again for episode 237 of Pace the Nation. I'm your host, Chris Farley. Alongside me, I've got the full crew intact. Across from me, it's Julie Cully. Julie, what's up? Hey, I just wanted to reference a child's or children's book that we read all the time, Mm -hmm. the Pete the Cat series. (laughs) And in the Pete the Cat series, almost always at the end of whatever lesson that they've learned, Pete Mm -hmm. always says... I'm feeling all right. <laughs> so, so that's how you're feeling? Lots of cha- lot, So much has changed in the world. Yeah. So much to talk about. Um, but the sun is shining. <laughs> the flowers are bright. The birds are chirping. And I'm feeling all right. I think if you've got kids our age, you'll know exactly what she's referencing. I like it. She's feeling all right. Let's bring in our other co-host. It's William E. Docs. Docs, what's up? Well, I would like to offer uh, sentiments on the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> of course, uh, I, I am. That's why we love them. I am feeling the opposite of all right, uh, mm-hmm. and also I have. I actually agree with you, Docs. But <laughs> and also I have no idea what you're referencing, and and I suspect ninety nine percent of our listeners have no idea what you're referencing. But, True, but uh, that's fine. Just that's just fine. crash that gate going ninety eight. It's a convoy. <laughs> It's like a Simpsons reference uh, that you make that uh, you and Charlie. Let's Van see, get. yeah. Let's see who has who has more context. How many yeah. followers know what we're talking Pete about? The cat or the Simpsons? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a feeling it actually might be the Simpsons. The only social media feedback we ever get on this show these days is is when I make a Simpsons reference. So let's see if the <laughs> yeah. the children's section of the public library fans are are chiming in now. <laughs> we will see we'll We'll see see. hey anybody who knows the pete the cat reference come on we've triggered you let's go oh my gosh Uh, help julie out here all right help julie out to be fair though we don't ever really tweet out what we say we're gonna tweet out you know what i'm working on that behind the scenes i'm working (laughs) on that (laughs) hey don't pull back the curtain too much sorry um it's too early yeah uh so docs um you're doing all right you're doing not great. Well, I mean, or you're just. I mean, I, to be honest, I'm. I like. We we're. This is a crazy time in our country right now. There's there's so much yep. stuff going on, and it's it's a lot. Yep. Uh, I I appreciate the the things that Julie said about you know the the weather's nice and and I still like mm-hmm. to get out and get my workouts in and and work on my own mental health. But at the same time, I I feel like. Uh, there's there's a lot going on right now, and and uh, unfortunately th- there is some disagreements on 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 what's going on, and and it causes a lot of stress in our lives. Yep, and I I, I would like to pivot to the serious tip here, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm, you're glad I'm such a downer. <laughs> no, you're glad you segued. <laughs> no, you segued us nicely. Uh, we've got a big show today, and we are going to take it, uh, you know, to on the serious tip and. Uh, excited to have a, a really important special guest today. Uh, we're going to have Allison Desir on. Uh, she is the founder of Harlem Run. Uh, she's a political activist. Uh, she also is part of a number of, of, of running groups that she has been a part of, of 
building and growing and those running groups include Harlem Run, Run for All Women, and the Global Women Run Collective. She's been doing a number of podcasts, um, and I've heard uh, her on one of them, um, and was really uh, a, a great uh, a great guest on this podcast. And that, that was actually she was talking mostly about the Ahmad Arbery situation um, and how that affected the world. Uh, I think one of you referenced everything has changed since then. Since we last uh, even recorded, I know have it feels so like much. I feels like I don't even know how to start today's <laughs> interview because, you know, as much as I'm saying that before docs, like my heart is so heavy, and mm-hmm. I think it is for so many people right now, just trying to make sense of the world. So I'm I'm excited to have Allison on to kind of shed light to her experience and, um, you know, what it is that so many people are walking through right now yeah so excited to have her on just a few minutes here uh also on today's program we will um after allison will uh we'll, we'll lighten it up a little bit um last week's episode was called bits so we'll talk about another bit that happened um that i thought was a well i, I don't want to tell you where i landed on it whether it was a good bit or bad bit. yeah we have to do the bit voting <laughs> yeah. at the end right docs <laughs> It's a secret. It's a secret ballot. Yeah. So we'll <laughs> talk about that. Uh, also, today's program, Docs is going to talk about some trails and trail running, and some happenings on the trail this past week. Uh, and then finally, uh, we'll touch on where Julie specializes in college and track and cross country. She specializes in a lot of things, but uh, there was an unfortunate uh, a program unfortunately folded this uh, past week. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I got a lot of good feedback from uh, the Raymond Whedon uh, broadcast from last week. Uh, really appreciate um, everybody uh, chiming in. And, and I think that Raymond was, was, was right. We needed to, um, you know, we needed to push the discussion forward. And uh, I, I believe, I, I can't even get my timeline straight here, but that was before... Uh, that was the George, George Floyd, Floyd yeah. situation that we talked to him. Yeah, we um, we recorded with Raymond before George Floyd was murdered, uh, and we mm-hmm. we talked about his experiences um, as as a black runner. We we brought him on. You know, we we talked a bit about Ahmad Arbery as well, uh, but but more specifically, brought him on so that he could share his experiences as as a black runner, um, and we recorded that. And and I don't know if it, if I, I believe we released it and then uh, the news on George Floyd came out. So right, uh, it's it's crazy and it's it, like the craziest thing is we we could record a story. This is unfortunately the one topic that we can have that that doesn't get messed up with the space time continuum because it seems right, like right. every freaking week there's a new story about. Uh, something on this topic that needs to be addressed. You know, it's 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 crazy. Yep, yep. And we're really fortunate to have Allison. And we we had some other fun interviews lined up for last week, but we decided to take a week off and let uh, Raymond's interview uh, breathe. Yeah. Um, and I think we were all kind of having a tough week. I mean, I know Julie just referenced it's been a tough time. So many uh, negatives. But what, what have struck you guys as, as maybe a positive that you've seen from the past couple of weeks? Well, what, what I will say, like I just said, I mean, th- this is a topic uh, when, you, when you're talking about um, 
racism in this country. Th- this is a topic that that there's a new story every week. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what I would say the positive is this feels different. Like right now it feels different and it feels like um, we have a lot of momentum to to change some things about the, the way this country operates. Uh, and I, I hope that we can can hold on to that momentum. But but it, it, it feels like the scales might be tipping uh, for some positive change to come out of it. And, and that's what I'm holding on to. That's that's what I'm optimistic about. I like it. Yeah, I would say I feel a lot of hope right now. And I think hope is so important. Um, and I, I hope that other people feel that same feeling. Um, we have a lot of work to do. And I think that, you know, this is the first time, at least as an individual, that I'm kind of learning and kind of diving into um, racism, like really for the first time. And what I thought of myself before is is starting to change. And I think that um, there's so much work that individuals have to do. So I think that, you know, everything that's happening right now from an activism standpoint is so important. But I'm just really hopeful that people go home and start to really dive into their own experiences um, and and really start to, to come outwards of like what actually needs to change in the way that we see each other and we perceive the world and we perceive race. Um, I hope that there's, you know, major changes that happen from um, a reform standpoint across the country. So this feels so different. And I think it's because it's people of all races coming together and, and really pushing their voice for Black Lives Matter. And I'm really hopeful. I'm, I'm hopeful that we will see change. And I, you know, I know that as an individual, I have the power to, you know, be a part of that change. So, um, you know, on a day today, I feel hope. All right. I, I like the optimism from both of you. Um, that's awesome. Let's dive deeper into it. Excited to be joined next by Allison Desir. She is an endurance athlete, an activist, a mental health advocate. She's founded Harlem Run. Allison Desir is going to join us next here on Pace the Nation. All right, welcome back to the program. And now, Julian Docks, we are excited to be joined on the phone by a endurance athlete, an activist, a mental health advocate. She is the founder of Harlem Run. It's Allison Desir. Allison, how are you? I'm good. How are you? We are doing all right. Um, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I know you've done a number of podcasts. Really appreciate you making the time here today for Pace the Nation. Um, so you're in New York. Obviously, Harlem Run is a big part of what you do. Uh, where Where in New York are you? So I'm I'm in the Bronx. Um, we moved after uh, or right before having my son to have a little bit more space. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's I'm thankful for where we are because we're very close to a park and we haven't had to go to Central Park at all during quarantine, which has been uh, madness, apparently. So <laughs> right. Um, right. yeah, we've been uh, we've been very lucky. Where, where have you been able to run around where, where you live? Yeah, Randall's Island is okay. right nearby where we live, and oh um, it's like it's it's massive. It's beautiful. There's so many different parts to it, 
and it's not a place that gets, I guess, as much action as Central Park. So we haven't had any particular, you know, run-ins with folks who aren't wearing masks or right. in, our, in our personal space. Everybody has been really respectful, and it's just it's it's been so much of a a good thing for our mental health to be able to go out and get fresh air. Well, Randall's Island is also a little bit more difficult to get to. Like you actually have to get, take a bridge exactly. to get over there. Mm-hmm. And normally exactly. it's filled with soccer games and baseball games and softball games. And, you know, as a track and field coach, we've been to Icon Stadium so many times. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I bet it's so quiet and nice and peaceful there during this time. Yeah, I mean, it's we've seen an uptick, right? And and so we take the Bronx Connector. There's two ways. Well, there's many ways, but there's the Bronx Connector and then there's the 103rd Street Bridge. And there's definitely more action by the bridge because it's more accessible. So on the Bronx side, um, you know, you get plenty of room. And you, I do see more people out there playing now. I think there's a lot of confusion and fatigue around COVID-19, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. How have you done with your, your, this is now, this is a selfish question. Julie and I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. How have you done with your young son? Has it been just impossible, crazy, or have you guys gotten by okay? Uh, I mean, he's, he's 10 and a half months old, so he doesn't um, really, it's not like a two-year-old or a four-year-old where I imagine they're like screaming and want to get out of the <laughs> house and want to be around people. So our issues are ones that we would have during this time or not, right? That he's just like, putting his fingers in the in the plug in the whatever in the electrical output and you're like oh i guess i should take that yeah. <laughs> but um no it's been it's actually been really nice that uh it's been nice to have a baby during this time yeah. because he keeps us really present um particularly when you know there's so many ways that my mind goes thinking about his future and his safety um but it's babies sort of like draw you back into the present moment no doubt so, uh, speaking of the present moment, um, just a, a crazy time. How, how are how are you doing? How are you feeling with the world events? Um, I mean, I think that for me, I'm feeling a lot of waves of emotion. I think that there are, um, you know, there's some positive things that are happening right now. The as much as the media wants to paint the the protests as uh, a nuisance or something that uh, we shouldn't be doing. The protests are, are working globally, right? Like we're seeing uh, monuments to uh, the Confederacy and to white supremacy being torn down in Germany and the UK and taken down in Baltimore. Um, we see that demands are being met around defunding police budgets. Mm. We see that um, concerns are being taken seriously. But then on the other hand, you see how the president is using this as an opportunity for his, his own agenda and trying to militarize uh, states and um, just really fanning the flames. So it's, um, I mean, it's hard and, and uh, black and brown people continue to be murdered. I just saw another one of another black guy who was killed while waiting for, um, I believe it was AAA to help him on the side mm-hmm. of the road. So, um, you know, there's, I think it's, it's a long time coming and um, it's, it's been really difficult. Yeah. Um, and, and we want to get into, to, to, you know, deeper into that conversation. Um, you know, this is a running podcast and I, I am curious how you've used running to, to help get your message out or, and, 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 you know, how did you, how did you start as a runner? Let's go, let's go back to the, to, to where you started. How did you start as a runner? Yeah. So I, um, growing, growing up, I was super active. Um, I was, I actually ran track and field when I was younger, but I didn't start running marathons until 2012. I was going through a period of depression and 
So I was spending a lot of time at home on social media, and I just so happened to see a friend of mine who was training for a marathon and raising money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And, um, you know, I had, up until that point, I had never actually seen a marathon. I had never participated in a marathon. And But what I did know was that most of the people, if not all the people, were skinny white folks. And my friend was like this average, average size um, black guy running for the marathon. So his story stood out to me and I sort of watched his progress. And um, a year later, this is like the long and short of it, but a year later, I decided that I would sign up and do the same thing. And what was really powerful is that it wasn't just a transformation in terms of, you know, 16 weeks training and getting faster and getting stronger, but it was also recognizing that I was more powerful than I thought. And this thing that so few people, when you actually think about like only 1% of the global population runs a marathon, even though it's all we hear about in our circles, um, but that I could set my mind to a task and accomplish it. So it made me start thinking about what kind of bigger things could I do in my life? And um, I had been unemployed and, you know, um, several other issues in my life. And it, it just sort of made me realize that I, I, that running was an empowering way for me to cope. Um, and so I went back and got my second master's in counseling psychology mm-hmm. because I was really interested in this uh, connection between mental and physical health. And um, I started Harlem Run about a year later as well. And um, and I mean, it's so much has happened since then. Uh, my husband, actually, I met him through Harlem Run, and he's now the official leader of Harlem Run. And wow. I, you know, I'm doing other projects, but just starting eight years ago truly transformed my life in ways that I did not anticipate. Now, I mean, is this like uh, really uh, when you look at your life now? Like, how surprised are you that this is your calling to be this ad- advocate and, and a runner? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that from now, like, as I reflect, I'm able to um, sort of put pieces together. And there was always um, like my nickname is Powdered Feet, which describes somebody who's so active, you never see them, just the footprints of where they've been in powder. I love that. So there were from a very young age, like my father gave me that nickname. And I was I was always like I was class president. I was always rallying people. I was always also really critically, uh, um, always a critical thinker. I remember in like fourth or fifth grade, we had this project um, to celebrate the centennial of the town that I grew up in on the 100th anniversary. And we were supposed to do a project around it. And um, I started looking through all the photos and the town Teaneck was described as a model town. And I noticed that in all the photos, it was all white people. So I did a photo project where I took photos of my class in like fourth or fifth grade. And I compared the two and I, the, the name of the project was what's wrong with these pictures. Right. So like I always had this um, understanding about race and um, and difference and uh, racism. And, and so all of you know, what I'm doing now sort of brings all of those pieces together. But it's definitely not like a career I could have aspired to. I don't even know like what to call it. You know, You've created <laughs> along the way, which is incredible. And you're involved yeah. in obviously Harlem Run, which sounds like your husband is, is a big part of now, which is awesome. Yes, Run, Run yes. for all women and the yes. global women run collective tell us about those groups and you know some positive things that you've seen from them yeah so um uh, harlem run um like i said my husband now is uh as of this past january is leading um i'm 10 and a half months postpartum so and he's been a part of the movement some from the very beginning so it was sort of recognizing um that you know we can share this responsibility and and he's he's an incredible leader in his own right 
with Run for All Women, our focus is really on using running as a vehicle for social change. And um, that movement came out of uh, a run that I organized from Harlem to Washington, D.C. for the Women's March. And uh, we ended up raising over $100,000, close to $200,000 for Planned Parenthood. And it really created this energy around running as a vehicle for social change. We now have ambassadors around the country and we've, we've focused efforts on voter registration for the midterm elections. We've, we do a lot of work with um, diversifying the outdoors and, and telling stories of uh, women and, and by POC in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And with Global Women Run Collective, this is like all such a quick run through of what I've done, but Global, <laughs> right. women, Global women Run yeah, Collective. Yeah, don't just really... skim through it. I no, mean, it's, it's, right. just, <laughs> I it's like good, incredible this work. This is a good overview. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can go back to the nitty gritty. Yeah. Um, but Global Women Run Collective was really um, in response to recognizing the ways that um, in, in New York, uh, women's voices are. Um, a silence and um, talking to some of my friends globally and them having the same experiences and recognizing that the industry is um, mostly male and also mostly white. But what are the ways that uh, we as women can come together to support our own initiatives and to create space where, um, you know, men don't want to give us any? We Women represent 60% plus of, of runners out there and yet in the C-suites and the coaches and all across the, the industry, it's male dominated. So um, Global Women Run Collective is the newest of my initiatives. And um, obviously COVID-19 has not made organizing easy, but it's been just, again, an incredible journey these past eight years to see how running um, is sort of the, the central focus or the this is the, is this the connector um, that allows me and others to uh, sort of center our activism around. So this is a really, um, and I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad that, that we can, you set the t- table for this uh, question for me. Um, is this a really personal thing for me? I, I own running stores. I'm a white guy. My, my, our motto at, at Pacers Running is for every run. And that's really been like never before been called into question. To, for me, and it's been a real struggle. I mean, our company is, you know, ninety percent on the retail side, um, you know, white, and running seems predominantly white from the races that we put on, you know, the participants and the races that we put on. Um, you know, what do we do? And this is, you know, this is an impossible question for any everybody, but uh, your voice would be really good here. What do we do to really embody that for every run? Like, how do, how do I, how do we as a company really live that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the first key piece is an awareness that right now there's a dissonance between what you believe your mission to be and what you actually are in, in truth, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's a big piece because I think um, many people are honestly in denial right. <laughs> about about themselves and their participation. And I mean, what I would say, it's what, what I've recommend been recommending is, you know, I've been recommending two books in particular, but really the first piece is your own education and your own understanding. And I think Dr. Robin D'Angelo, her book, White Fragility is, is a great place to start as well as Me and White Supremacy by um, Leila F. Saad, I believe is her last name. Because the idea is that um, each of us is born into um, systems, right? We are we're all born into racist systems, 
systems that are rooted in white supremacy and therefore everything that we do is enacting them mm -hmm. unless we're conscious of it right so the ways that um white people are centered in conversations the ways that white people um our standards of beauty are what we all are supposed to ascribe to the way that uh medicine for example has always um put people of color um as a disadvantage really in a space of being experimented on in mm. for the purpose of white people like all of this is the society that we are born into i really like this quote by i think his name is guante solo it's white supremacy is not the shark it's the water right mm -hmm. so we're all we're all swimming in this water that's full of it so the first piece is identifying that and understanding that whether we like it or not we are contributing to this then the next piece is to look for um like dc is a very diverse running scene so yeah. to know that to know that your races and your stores are all white means that you're not actually speaking to folks in a way that's authentic or genuine you haven't identified leaders um who are doing a lot of great work and maybe you haven't made it compelling for them to want to partner with you and this is this might be because of the language that you use this might be because of um just the ways in which you 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 uh, privilege and, and center particular stories that that don't um identify or don't uh, resonate, resonate with, other with. Folks. yeah so, I mean, you're right because you know, dc yeah. is 47 percent you know black and and uh we just i mean we do have employees um but it's just not the same percentage no and i think it's yeah i think it's so interesting you know um it's a lot of us are starting to dive into this work, right? And I'm a track and field coach and, you know, over 40% of my team is black or identifies with color. And, um, you know, kind of diving into this work makes you realize that like the way that you've seen the world is, is not the way the world is. And I think just being someone like when you think in terms of for every run and pacers, um, you know, just because we we believe that we welcome people doesn't mean that people feel welcome. Right. And I think that exactly. that's the huge point that we kind of have to see in and of ourselves and like begin to to bring individuals into the fold of color and and really support and create a community where like when when a black individual walks into the store, they don't just see white people that are going to be helping them because that feels different when you walk into that store. And it, it just is such a massive change and shift of mindset and really kind of understanding, you know, like Allison said, um, the work that we all have to do to better understand what welcoming means, what inclusiveness mm -hmm. means. Exactly. And I think, I mean, it sounds like from this conversation, the way that you're approaching it is with, you know, an action oriented space, right? Because I think what happens for many white people is they get caught in this space of shame and guilt and or taking this, um, this is a little strange to say, but taking it as a uh, personally as a personal attack, mm -hmm. right? Like, obviously, each of us is complicit with this system. But but that also means each of us has the opportunity to do things that change that system. So once you get, if you get locked in guilt and shame and apologizing and like, then you're not actually doing anything. You're putting, you're actually putting like throwing the emotional labor on somebody else to take care of you. Hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it's important and, and critical work. And I think it's about bringing in those voices and, and in a way that's not, you know, tokenism, right? But yeah, that it's actually oh like looking at how can we systematically, like why are there such few women 
retail owners. Right. And then why is there such a, I don't even, I don't know of any um, black women who are retail owner, owners in this space, right? But like really thinking critically about that. Yeah, I mean, there there isn't, it's, it's, I go to these conferences and frankly, it's a bunch of white dudes. And it's, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> and, and I, but I do believe this is a different moment in time because I always thought of it and I never thought of myself as a racist or whatever. But, uh, you know, now it actually means something to me. And in your opinion, is this a different moment in time? Are there going to be people like, people like me who were like, wow, OK, now I actually understand I mean, uh, well, before I uh, address that, I want to say that I think what you said right there is really powerful. And that's one of the things that you can learn in the Robin D'Angelo book is that when people have this idea that a racist is like, if somebody calls you racist, you're like terrible and you're mean and you have bad intent. When really, like, if we can all understand that we are a part of a racist society, then it sort of removes the feeling that like you are a terrible individual, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are going to do racist things because we're in a society that is prejudiced that's anti-black and that has systems in place that um have white people in power right so anyway i think that's that's a really again just mm -hmm. an important step but i i do hope that this is a moment that changes i'm i'm not um you know i i've, I've only been on this planet 35 <laughs> years so i haven't seen too much but i know my history and i know that um you know, this is not the first time that these issues are coming to a head in terms of if I think more about like just the, the running industry and the outdoor industry, I think that this could be a turning point because I think that sort of like the, the bandaid has been ripped off and we're not we're no longer accepting brands that just put the hashtag Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. in their posts. Like in particular with Black Lives Matter, like Black Lives Matter is, has a set of demands that include defunding the police, that include um, you know, tangible action items. And I think that we're at a time when folks are really going to hold these brands and industries to task. So, I mean, if I, I, if I wasn't an optimist, I wouldn't do this because I would just say like, we're doomed. What's the point? Right. Um, so yeah, I do believe uh, change is, is possible. Well, Julie coaches over at Georgetown and she just referenced that 40% of her, uh, her athletes are, uh, B I P O C, which is a term I just learned, which, you know, which is crazy. I, I should have known that term. That's a term that's been out there, right, Allison? It's just the fact uh, yeah, that I realize. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you know, we're each limited by our experience. And mm -hmm. if you only are around white people and if you're, that's your world, then, you know, it's it, now you realize that it's your imperative to learn about other folks, yep. right? But yeah, by POC, um, Black Indigenous People of Color. Yep, and and so the, I'd say forty percent of your group is is Julie is 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 uh, by POC, and yep. and a lot of them don't run after college even as a hobby. How have you been able to inspire and 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 you know bring people into the sport like you have uh, in, there in New York? Yeah, I think so. I think a, a key piece of that, and I, I don't know, I can't speak to what happens in Georgetown, although I, I do know from going to a predominantly white institution, I went to Columbia undergrad and then Columbia um, graduate school twice. Um, it's not uh, it's not always a space where you feel like you can thrive or where you feel like you, you have a voice or a space. Um, but I think part of the success of the, the movements that I've built is that really we... Um, we focus on representation 
and we focus on thinking about the second part of what you said, right? It's not just saying like people are welcome. Well, how are we actually welcoming when they show up? And this doesn't mean that we do it right 100% of the time. Um, but I think it's really about like from everything from social media to, to showcasing people who look different and celebrating that difference to putting people in leadership position who are um, diversity of ideas, of race, of body type, um, and then making it accessible that we have in Harlem Run, there's a walking group, a run walking group, um, and then there's community service aspects, and we really are part of the community. Like even now as we walk the other day, yesterday my husband and I were walking with my son, and this guy who was driving a New York City park truck starts beeping at us, and I was like, what? Because in New York, like somebody beeps at you, you're about to curse at them. Of course, <laughs> he was like, of course. He was like, I just want to say, like, I love you guys so much. I got the, he, he, he purchased, we did this fundraiser for I Run with, well, my husband organized the fundraiser for I Run with Maud. Um, he's like, I got that shirt, and the minute we can run together, I'm I'm running with you. And this is a guy like neither one of us had Harlem Run on, but he just knew of the work that we do. That's so awesome. I think that um, it you know it takes a, a commitment, and it also takes like your history, right? Like people, if if tomorrow you said you wanted to have these conversations in D.C., I don't expect that people would be like chomping at the bit for them, right? Mm -hmm. Because of of um, the history, but um, it's it requires work. I think it's so interesting, the work that you do, Allison, to, you know, marrying the mental health component into this as well, mm. like yeah. teaching people that this is a space to, you know, use running to cope is so important. Like, I, I mean, I especially during this time in our in our history, uh, you know, post COVID, you know, there's so much fear coming out of this period of isolation that we're going to have even more rampant mental health issues. Like I, I just am so fascinated by marrying those two things together and really like commend you for, you know, really trying to bring more people into the fold and understanding that this is such a powerful part of like, you know, coping with whatever is going on in their lives. Yeah. Thank you. I think um, that's, then I didn't even speak to that, but that's, uh, you know, my latest initiative is this, uh, it's called Meaning Through Movement. And it's a tour that, that focuses on exactly what you said, bringing mental health, normalizing the conversation around mental health in, in the fitness space. And so um, it initially was intended to be an in-person tour, but I actually think um, this is, you know, the unfortunate circumstances of COVID-19 meant that it had to become virtual, meaning that we can reach more people. So we've had conversations about allyship, conversations about self-compassion as it relates to COVID-19. We have upcoming conversations about uh, whiteness, about intergenerational trauma, about um, power and oppression, about unlocking your potential. And each of these conversations is then coupled with a physical piece. So there's like high intensity interval training, yoga. But I think the idea is all of these, like running is not separate from the world. And, and I think that's, you know, running, running can be a space where you, you know, have an escape and you're, you feel free, but running still takes place within this world. And therefore these issues that we're talking about are, are very much relevant to how we feel in this world. Um, and it's been, the reception has been awesome. Like hundreds of people signing up and the conversation has been really engaging. So I feel thankful to my sponsor, Hoka, that they also believed that this was important and something that they got behind. Do you still have some of those uh, seminars coming up? 
Yeah, there's actually, we've only had two so far. So on um, June 20th is a conversation um, with Dr. Laura Smith. Let's talk about whiteness. And then there'll be a conversation with um, Michelle Race of Black Girls Trekking, talking about diversity in the outdoors, and then a high intensity interval training workout with Janelle Mason. And sort of the, um, and there's, so there's seven remaining events, one of which is a conversation with Dr. Robin D'Angelo about white fragility. So um, some really exciting conversations and um, workouts, and I'm just excited that I can partner with all of these people and we can share this platform. I really enjoyed your uh, article on Outside. We'll tweet it out at Pace the Nation, uh, the Outside article. Uh, I, I just want to reference a couple quotes if I could and then get you your, your feedback. I, I know we've touched on some of this, but one thing you said that really stood out to me is that there's a deep divide within the running community across racial lines, one that we don't address. Uh, a real deep divide. I mean, can you can you expand on that? Uh, at Harlem Run, is there is there you know, is I assume there's, you know, you have both white and black runners, correct? Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I think that the divide that I'm talking about is really what we were talking about as it relates to pace uh, to pacers, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that the um, pacers and, and the industry conferences that you go to, like I went to Running USA and there was, like I could count the amount of people of color on one hand mm-hmm. and I experienced so many microaggressions. There were another woman of color that I was with. People confused the two of us and we look, I mean, we're not even the same complexion, right? Like we don't even look anything alike. Um, but you see like running groups, major running groups like November Project that are in some of the historically blackest cities in this country that remain completely white with white leadership, right? And I think that... Um, these are things that I know that I've noticed and that friends of mine who are by POC have noticed, but sort of have gone unsaid for a really long time. And it's time to like interrogate that process. Like, why is this the case? And again, if you're for everybody, just show up. Well, how, what, how are you creating a space where that's possible? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just with, I was, um, you know, the, I run with mod was just this, this, this series of, it has been a lifetime of, of knowing, about this racial divide, not just in running, but running is purported to be this space where, you know, like we face down barriers and we all mm-hmm. run side by side. And, and that is true. But but the systems still are in place when as we're running. And, and, and another quote you said, and I think this relates to that, is you said, as long as we live in a world steeped in white supremacy, and we do, being a black woman mm-hmm. will never uh, be separate from my identity as a runner. Um, I think that's a really powerful, interesting uh, quote from you there. So uh, misconceptions on what the term white supremacy is. Uh, Can you address that? Well, I'm curious, what are the misconceptions? Because for me, I I know what I mean when I'm talking about white supremacy. I think think that people, um, you know, and this, you know, people would say it's a, uh, you know, it's KKK. It's uh, it's the the, the folks who are um, it's extremist extremists. People, yeah. people see it as being extremist. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I mean, I you know, I'm I guess my question is that you know that's not what you're talking. Is that what you're talking about, or is that not what you're talking about? No, what I, I mean, I think again, like seeing white supremacy um, as extremist or seeing racism as something that only bad people do is a way that the 
the culture of white supremacy and racism is maintained, mm -hmm. right? Because we act like it's those people over there. <laughs> but white supremacy, like like I mentioned, it's 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 steeped in all of our institutions, in in the media. If you look at how the media talks about black people versus how they talk about white people, if you see the way that um, Jeffrey Epstein or what's that other guy? Um, Harvey Weinstein mm -hmm. are treated by the justice system versus black and brown folks for carrying a dime bag of weed, mm -hmm. right? If you see the ways that um, all of our beauty ideals are around thinness and straight hair and, you know, like everything, again, if you look at medicine and the ways in which um, black women are, uh, are dying from giving birth when this is not even a concern for white women. Like, how did Serena Williams almost die, right? right? It's because black women are not believed, black women are not heard when they go to doctors. So that's the culture of white supremacy that we all live in. And so long as we think that white supremacy is just um, folks who are burning crosses, then we're not truly reckoning with the culture that we live in. I think um, that's really well said and very powerful. Um, because uh, you know, to me, I can I can understand it better now than ever, and I'm mm -hmm. a, I'm 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 ashamed to say that I didn't understand it as much before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think something that's um, I mean, funny is the wrong word, but like honestly, the the average black person who doesn't have a quote unquote formal education knows more than race than a, knows more about race than a really educated mm -hmm. uh, white person, formally educated white person, and that's by design, right? Like that's that's also when we go to this concept of fragility, like having making it making um, whiteness so much a part of the fabric of things makes it such that we don't question it. And so white people don't have to think about it. The more privileges you have, the less you think about it. So and I like to re relate this to things that are um, difficult for me, because I think it makes the conversation easier. So for example, ableism, right, is like everything that I do is really steeped in ableism. It's all around the ability to move your body in some way. So I, I have to question myself, uh, I have to remind myself of that, right? Like, there are people who I'm leaving out of the conversation because what I'm doing is rooted in a particular kind of movement, right? Or if I think about class privilege, I've gone to the best schools, some of the best schools in the country. I grew up, um, you know, a daughter of immigrants, but still a middle-class background. Mm -hmm. So there are ways in which my experience um, makes me blind to the experiences of people living in poverty, right? So I think it's just we, we need to, this is like, to be anti-racist is is work it's tiring and exhausting but um the alternative is black and brown people dying mm. yeah and continuing in the ways that you know the world has been operating um exactly well we thank you so much for shedding light to it and um i am curious how your efforts have shifted since you've become a mom have has thing have things become more deep rooted to you like has your perspective changed um since becoming a mother yeah i think for me if anything i've become um i think i've become even more um more focused which is, I mean, I was really focused before, so it's kind of hard yeah. to say that. But, it's like, wait, you weren't uh, focused yeah. in the three organizations you put right, fire? Right. But I think, I guess there's also a piece of like feeling more like fearless and less concerned with um, respectability politics, which is a really big piece. Like respectability is sort of like particularly around like blackness where like you have to sort of um, 
you know, you have to perform in a way to be welcome and accepted by white folks, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to speak well, you have to dress well, you and and that if you're not that way, then you open yourself up to criticism. So I think that for me, it's a, like being a mom, I'm more authentic about who I am and less worried about um, how I'm going to be taken or how what I'm going to be, how what I'm saying is going to be taken because I think that I really am speaking important truths. And it's because I think about my son and his future. Um, because I just like, I, I cannot imagine, like, I, I don't even want to say this on air, but if somebody kills my son, like nobody is safe, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I have to do everything in my power. Yeah. The world shifts, I think in, in motherhood, it becomes less, it, it's almost less about yourself and all in defense of your children. Like it's, it's exactly. building a different world for them. Exactly. So, you know, just to, as we wrap this up, this has been awesome. Um, you know, how, how do we move forward? How do we move forward? This is an impossible question. How do we move forward? Is it, you know, continuing to participate in these, at times, uncomfortable conversations? I am sitting here, like, totally at attention and, like, you know, nervous. And, and I have, I don't know if I've been this nervous for an interview. Like, it's yeah. it's been somewhat uncomfortable. But I, I think that's well, good. Well, good. Yes, yeah, no, good. Yeah, no. Exactly. Like, exactly. sweating. I'm like... Yeah. Good, good. No, I think that's exactly it. I think like, I don't think it's an impossible question, right? I think that if we if we think of it as impossible, then we then we become immobilized and we feel like we nothing can be done. And the truth is, there's there's a lot that can be done, you know, and I think it starts with education, it starts with knowing other people's histories, and, and then continuing to have these conversations um, not putting the burden on people of color to teach you, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's why you need to do your education, but then you need to have conversations about, well, how can we create a different path and how can we actively be anti-racist? How can you use your privilege to amplify the voices of other people? Like my friend, um, Keisha, who's the uh, founder of track Tuesdays in DC. I mean, she's doing such incredible work and she's just one person who deserves all the shine in the world right so thinking about how can you partner with leaders like her and how can you when you're partnering how can you also invest in them right so it's not about asking keisha suddenly to create all this content are you going to support her financially are you going to make sure that her voice is heard in these industry spaces um but it it is work and that is also why lots of folks don't want to do it (laughs) right well we need to definitely connect with her um yes so, uh, you know, as uh, on a lighter, on a lighter note, how's your running going? Are you training? Are you training for anything? Or I mean, there's nothing to so train I, for really. Yeah. In between right, phone right. calls, yeah. podcasts, yeah. interviews, <laughs> writing gigs, yeah. like right. changing no. the world yeah. and being exactly. a mother and a wife. Like, what, I know. how's so, your running going? Yeah. <laughs> so I have, I have been running and that's, um, that's been a, a journey in and of itself because I had a lot of delusions about like how quickly I was going to come back to running and what my body was going to be like. And again, that's a whole other conversation, mm-hmm. but I am um, running and run walking and it's been, we, do, we make sure that we get out every day. I don't hold myself to any standard of like how much or how fast, but it's really just about getting outside and um, introducing my son to this. Right. Because yeah. I never would have thought like, growing up like i mean my parents were amazing right but my parents were not marathoners now my son can grow up saying well my mom was a marathon and my father was an ultra marathoner and this is just part of who i am so um as much as we can we're moving but i definitely do not have any time goals or (laughs) race goals (laughs) anything like that yeah well that was that was me postpartum too i um 
I, I think I just had to learn to forgive myself that like the yeah. world of structure that I had, you know, before a baby, it just was, you know, erased for a little while. Yeah. It was like, I just had to pat myself on the back if I got out the door, you know, exactly. and, and, exactly. and, and just enjoy those moments instead of feeling like it was this rigid space. Cause running has always been a release, right. And a, a way yes. of coping and, you know, finding joy and building relationships and all those things. And if it becomes this like point of tension, you know, as you're kind of building back to it, it becomes resentful, you know, it's, so it's, it's super totally. important to just forgive yourself <laughs> and get out yep. there when you can. And, you know, and, and don't fight your own body. Right? No, like, yeah. my, my gosh, body is no. my body. Like there's, and you know, your body I'm, gave I'm not birth a... to a human. Like it's an incredible, <laughs> exactly. incredible thing. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's where I'm at. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Allison, where can we find you? I know you. Uh, it's Harlem Run on on Instagram. Um, and for, yeah, for your my club. personal. Yeah. and Harlem Run. I'm going to give a shout out to Harlem Run. They actually, if you are looking to run a race, the Harlem Run Festival. Um, it's it's gone virtual this year. My my husband mm-hmm. is organizing a virtual event, so you can find out those details at Harlem Run. For my personal information, I am Allison with one L A L I S O N. M is in Mary Desir D E S I R. I have a website, Instagram, and from my Instagram, you can find links to a bunch of other stuff. It's awesome. Is that where we can also find information about some of the seminars and uh, workshops yeah. you guys are doing? Yeah. So that's actually so that's meaning through movement meaning thru movement i actually have an instagram for that and a website and you can sign up um all of the events are free except for the one with uh, robin d'angelo that's ten dollars and there are scholarships available so that um hopefully nobody is uh prevented due to the cost awesome all right well she's an endurance athlete an activist a mental health advocate she's fa- founder of harlem run I, I have chills just you've been insp- you've been super inspiring and and thank you so much for your time and and, and yeah. your message to uh, pace the nation and the folks at DC Allison really really appreciate it of course keep sweating <laughs> he is he, he, we're, we're working on it all right that's Allison Desir. she joined us on pace the nation we're gonna take a quick break I'll be right back after this All right, welcome back to the program, and thanks again to Allison Desir for joining us today on Pace Nation. Great stuff there. Uh, you can find her. It's allisonmdesir.com is her website, and I'm glad you asked that stuff at the end, Julie, to uh, let everybody know where to go to find uh, things that they can do, actions that they can take, um, seminars that they can be a part of that she uh, that she's either a part of or putting on, so uh, allisonmdesir.com. Or books that you could read. Yeah. And, and Farley, I guess we're going to have to find some books on tape for you. Yes, books on tape. And I actually think, Julie, are you reading one of those books? I wouldn't call reading listening, okay. but I'm See, listening to one Krista, of the two I've books. I've convinced her. Yeah, I've convinced her. Books, yeah. I've convinced her to do the well, uh, audio I don't really like, when I go for runs, I get tired of listening to like the same old music over and over. So I've started doing some audio books nice. and things. So See? Docs, yeah. it's it's two to one audio books uh, on the far in the Farley household to you. Well, I would like to see Julie go back and listen to the archive, Pace the Nation, <laughs> but that's fine. Right, I know. Books on audio is fine too. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. really want to listen that, that, to myself. Though. That's, that's a no. A thing. That's a no. Those, those sighs and know. pauses. Yeah. That was a no. Sorry. 
but thanks again to Allison. Great stuff there. All right. So last week's uh, title of the show was Bits. Uh, you know, Charlie changes his title when he advertises our program on Run Washington. Do you know that, uh, Docs? Yeah, I'm aware of that. <laughs> You're aware of that, yeah. Sometimes I like what he says, but usually yeah. I like the one I pick. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, you know, I think there's in his mind a competition to uh, one up your title, uh, but your title was bits. Sometimes he wins, though. Sometimes I see what his <laughs> yeah, title yes, is, and I'm, I'm like, oh, I wish I thought of that. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, uh, bits. Um, we had a, we we went over a few bits. I'm just going to go over one uh, bit here this uh, this week. Okay. And uh, it was uh, the world record was set in the blue jean mile. So uh, Johnny Gregorak, who uh, Julie is is knows uh, pretty well. I'd say you're friends with Johnny. Uh, he set the world record running in a pair of Levi's. Running 406.25. Uh, the previous record was 411.8. He raised, you know, thirty-one thousand dollars for the National Alliance on Mental Hill- Mental Illness. Uh, so, in my mind, good bit, Julie. I thought it was a great bit. Great bit. Okay. okay. Great bit. And maybe it's just because I really like Johnny and I love the Gregoric family. They're yep. a Georgetown family. Yeah, that's true. Even though Johnny went to Columbia and to Oregon, but we won't hold that against him. Mm-hmm. Um, his Both his mother and father went to Georgetown. So very, very special place um, that family has with, with our university and with our track and field program. Besides that... Johnny raised an incredible amount of money. I think he set out to raise maybe like between three and five thousand yeah, dollars, and he ended up like twenty five hundred. Yeah, yeah, and he ended up what over fifteen thousand. Over thirty, he raised thirty one thousand oh dollars. That's insane. Five thousand donation uh, dollar donation from Levi Strauss. Yeah, and so he, you know, he good. did it in honor of his brother. You know, mm-hmm. they lost his brother a year ago to mental illness. And I just thought that that was so powerful and so special. The video was amazing. There were so many people from his team that came out to watch him. Mm-hmm. Social distancing, of course. His parents surprised him coming down from Rhode Island to New York to watch him do it. Um, and then on top of that, he showed some actual talent and athleticism. <laughs> like he was killing himself to run that time. Yeah. Like he is fit and he was showing off you know, his, his actual fitness out there in a hundred percent cotton. Mm-hmm. Go Johnny. Solid. Go Johnny. All right. So docs, uh, I mean, I don't know if you can go to the bad bit here. What do you think? Well, I, I mean, I'm just going to remind you guys that I told you during last show that, that you really got, you need to reflect on your whole, it's a good bit. If there's a Georgetown connection, <laughs> it, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> like, like right. we need to be on YouTube so people could see how far back my eyes are rolled into my skull right now. Listening right. to you make that connection <laughs> we do. To, to a good bit. Uh, I, obviously, I, th- I think this is—I think this is a great bit. I'm not even sure if it's a bit, but uh, if we're going to classify <laughs> it as a bit, it's a great bit. Uh, first of all, the the charity component was a home run, and yep. the the reason for doing it—you know—he he did it and, and and brought awareness to to something. So so it's a hundred percent. It's a home run. It's a it's a it's a sub four minute mile, even though it was a four oh six. 
I tried to use a, a track analogy in there instead of the, the baseball. It analogy. probably was. There, yeah. I someday mean, we'll you, have conversions for yes. 100% cotton blue jeans. You know what I thought was... <laughs> blue jean miles. Chris, do you know if he was wearing Levi's? Yeah, 501s. Levi yeah. 501s. Yeah. So, so, so I, um, I started wondering if, if like running brands are going to now start making jeans, you know, like performance jeans and stuff like this. Because I could see it. Because when we were kids, we used to run in 100% cotton and now everything's like a performance, breathable, sweatable thing. Yep. Yep, that's true. Uh, so this is a this is a record I see getting broken. I see. <laughs> I saw Emma Bates running in uh, some jean shorts this week too. Uh, we won't go down the whole good bit or bad bit thing, but well, it's, uh, it's an Asics thing, or I uh, guess maybe, it's an, maybe yeah, Asics, Asics needs to come out with some. You know, uh, one uh, one funny thing from the Runners World article, and we'll tweet it out at Pace the Nation. Um, Frank Gagliano, uh, Julie's former coach. Uh, who who coached her to an Olympic team in 2012. He is the legendary track coach. Um, he was at Georgetown. Oh, so my God. St- enough. Uh, <laughs> 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 He's 83 years old. Uh, he was watching from across the track, and, uh, you know, he was encouraging him. And, Whoa, I and, didn't even know he yeah, was there. That's he was so there. funny. I mean, he's he is not the guy who I would think would be into bits. But, uh, no. It's yeah. pretty cool. I, I would have figured he was home grumpy, like, right. why are you, doing, are you doing this? Right. But then again, because it's for his brother, I think yeah. that was it's an incredible the yeah. true, Yeah. The true, uh, the true, yeah. So it's, it, that is the true test, whether it's a good bit or bad bit. Gags was into it. So well done, Johnny. We'll try to. We'll, we'll, Wait, so Gags is now part of our bit meter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, like what Farley's would, the legend, the is, legend from Georgetown. Yeah. Basically, what Farley's saying is that if an old curmudgeon like like Gags is on board, <laughs> then you you really have no ground to stand on being against it. That's true. Well, uh, well, we're going to try to track down Gregorek uh, and talk to him more about this on a future uh, Pace the Nation episode. But bravo, uh, Johnny Gregorek, good bit. Uh, Docs, um, you know, we uh, have all been, uh, you know, out more on the trails recently. Everybody uh, has. And everybody has. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you wanted, to, you wanted to touch on trails by your house or just trails in general. Right. Well, I'm not going to talk about what trails are near my house because, uh, you know, we've, <laughs> we've talked about that in the past, how, how that's a... The paparazzi a, would get out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't, that's yeah, an well, issue. Good idea. But the, I, yeah. I do live very close to, to a, a big trail that's uh, used both by runners and bikers and cyclists cyclists yeah well and and a couple motorcyclists who get who who get lost (laughs) um bird scooters yeah a little everything yes yeah actually you're not supposed to have motorized vehicles on the trail and i i have been seeing like a a few people with with uh bikes that have the assisted motor uh Mm -hmm. and, and skateboards with the motor and i'm not really sure uh, how that falls, but um, right. I, I don't think it should be allowed. But anyway, that's not what I wanted to talk about. I, I, <laughs> right. I, I do want to talk about trail awareness because there's so many people out there. And also, you know, I'm I'm not able to run every day like I'd like to because if I do, I'll get hurt. So I try to bike mm-hmm. when I'm not running. But when I, when I am running and a biker passes me and they say passing on the left – I raise my left hand to signal to them that I heard them so that they, they know that mm-hmm. I'm aware that they're going to pass, right? 
And when I'm biking, I really appreciate when runners indicate to me that they hear me when I tell them that I'm passing, especially if they're wearing headphones, because people with headphones, you just you just don't know if they can hear. Right. And if you right. if you are wearing headphones, I'm not I'm talking to everybody, not just you, Farley. But if you are wearing <laughs> headphones and you can't hear the people around you, stop. You know, turn the music right. down, turn the podcast down, turn Pace the Nation turn Pace down. Turn Pace the Nation down a little yeah. bit. Yep. Stop mm-hmm. being selfish. But <laughs> right. biking Agreed. biking lately, I, I feel like more people are on the trail communicating in one way or another that they hear me when when I'm passing. I've kind of noticed this this last week, and I, I think it's really cool. And it, it, it seems like a change as well out on the trail. So I, w- I want to thank everybody who's out on the trail that's doing that. And if you are a runner and you're not communicating with people who are telling you that they're passing you, I hope that you will perhaps consider it going forward. But you're seeing more yeah. consideration out there. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. great. I, I think um, th- there are anomalies, but but I, I just feel like when, when I get back from a run, I do feel like uh, the community is communicating better on, on these trails, which which is an awesome thing. Um I did have an incident the other day on my bike. I was passing two people, and I said passing on the left, and there was a guy with headphones on, and as I was passing them, he steps out in front of me, still go, still not looking at me, but he moves to the center of the trail, steps out in front, comes to a complete stop, turns around and looks, and apparently he had just decided that he was going to turn around, like this was, this was the halfway point of oh, his right run. right there right in front of right. me but he had headphones on and he stepped out to the middle of the trail or actually to the left of the trail he he stepped out before looking to see if it was safe to do and i had to slam on my brakes i did like a wheelie <laughs> uh what? and and i i slammed my brakes on so hard that that the alignment of my brakes uh it, it came out of alignment and i had to walk my bike home for like the last mile because it, it like oh I, I came within an inch of like just plowing this guy over, so so you didn't hit him. All right, wow. No, I did not hit That's him. I, but it was like it was like inches, like inches away, and then he just kind of looked at me and then started running the other way. So you didn't say anything to him. No, he had headphones on. Wow. <laughs> A reminder. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, that wasn't the that is a crazy story, but it wasn't the craziest story on a bike path this past week. No kidding. What the heck? <laughs> I know. You know, I was actually interviewed. Um, yeah, now I'm name dropping here. Um, by uh, It's okay, I can cut the, it out. The Saturday show of the <laughs> <laughs> The Saturday show of the Sports Junkies about this. Uh-huh. Uh, the the Bethesda man and the bike assault. I know you wanted to, to touch uh, base to our listening audience about that. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that anybody in our area doesn't know this story, but it, it was on the, the Capitol Crescent Trail in Bethesda. And right. I guess there were there were th- three protesters uh, who were hanging signs, you know, regarding George Floyd and, and police violence. And th- I, this guy like stopped and basically assaulted all three of them and there's there's video and they were like it was it was like peaceful protesting from they like made their own te- signs teenage 
girls. It looked yeah. like maybe I don't know women. Well, there, I don't know. There was a guy there too. Wasn't the, yeah, the guy right. was the guy was filming, and then and then they were the, filming. Yeah, the two girls. I think they were all around the same age, but that was in question as well from the from the video, the the details. Right. Um. I mean, you can watch the video, but he he assaults all three of them, and he he takes away their 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 signs. He's ripping their signs down. He's, he's taking their tape. He runs the guy off the trail, knocks him over, and <laughs> but. Like as this played out on social media over the week, I saw somebody post like a screenshot of his face saying, please, if you know who this person is, this was on the Capitol Crescent Trail on Monday. If you know who this person is, please contact the police. Right. And I Mm -hmm. I saw that and I was like, oh, I wonder what happened. And then like two days later, the video surfaces, the full video. And you start seeing this and you're like, holy cow, like this, this guy would like just had a huge road road rage incident on the trail uh and you know the ages of the people were were reported incorrectly and then thursday night uh it started trending nationally and i started seeing two names trending nationally and like social media police misidentified the the person oh, no. So and and I saw people like writing hate mail to this guy or hate hate tweets to this guy and and tweets to his employer saying like you know the worst person works for you and all this kind of stuff and it wasn't the right guy. I know. And and it's so insane. It's cr- so I guess it like it, it people had looked at this and they, they were looking at Strava segments and they saw like this guy looked similar and. Uh, we've documented the Strava police before, uh, on, on other incidents where, where bikers have, uh, assaulted people, um, or committed crimes in England. Uh, but (laughs) so sometimes the Strava police works, but I mean, people need, come on, people do better than this. And on Friday, I guess the guy, the guy who really did it turned himself into the police and, and, uh, he, he has been arrested. Uh, yeah, he was charged. Anthony Brennan III of Kensington, he's 60 years old, was uh, arrested with on three counts of second-degree assault. Uh, the the tweet the, of minors too of uh, minors. Oh, was it minor? Yeah, wow. And and it was. I mean, it was. It's the power of. I mean, people were upset, which was great. Uh, the power of social media retweeted more than 150,000 times. Yeah. Uh, led to. <laughs> The uh, led to the uh, the ultimately him being arrested. Yes, but so, but I mean, uh, let's say this. You know, Chris Farley, social media class is in session. Uh, <laughs> like, right. it's it's good that it was Need shared. To get that class going again. Yeah, but it, it was good that that people shared the story and shared the video. But the the idea was to contact the authorities, not out pe- the wrong people. That was the problem. Right. Like, That's true. Like the social media, we saw the the good and the bad that the social media can be involved in in solving these things. I'm glad the guy didn't look like Docs because you know he had that <laughs> incident on the trail. Yeah. Almost hit the guy. Well, I saw this guy. He did pop the wheelie and almost ran into a runner. That's got to be him. I have an alibi for the next day because because uh, my bike was out of commission for three or four days. That's true. Well, I'm That's just true. saying. It wasn't me. <laughs> All right. Finally, um, really an important topic that we uh, wanted to touch on was uh, what's happening with Brown uh, men's cross country and track and field. Uh, they actually, this past week... Uh, 
dismantled the program or they, what's the word for it, Julie? They canceled the program? Yeah, they cut it. They cut the program. Which is finally just, cancel culture is is uh, an internet thing. Oh, is that, is that's an internet? All right. So they cut the program. Uh, in all seriousness, Brown Track and Field program, which you know is is just really sad to see uh, some of the fallout from COVID nineteen has been programs being cut. And for us, you know, all of us who you know the three of us who ran college cross country and track. Um, you know, nothing probably shaped our lives more than our experience running college cross country and track. I think that's fair to say, right? Uh, I, I think that it was very important to me. I wouldn't say that it, it, it was as important to me right. as maybe some other people, but, uh, that's fine. I have a different experience. Right. Um, for for Brown, isn't that where former Pacers employee and and high school teammate of mine, Doug Humphrey, went? Correct. To? High jumper, seven foot plus high jumper, Doug Humphrey. Uh, he was a yeah. employee. He was a great Pacers employee for a while, and yeah, he was a jumper at Brown. Um, yeah, so I I'll, I'll have to reach out to him and and uh, you know give condolences. Him, yeah, give give my condolences because that's that's that sucks. Yeah, and I hope this isn't you know, something we're going to see as a, a pattern now. Um, Julie, what do you, what do you think? Uh, I think it's a disgrace, um, personally. And, uh, I know a lot of us in the track and field NCAA community feel the same way. Um, the idea that Brown is hiding behind the word diversity while, um, cutting men's track and field, is wrong on every level what you do you can mean think by that um, and I'm I'm missing this quote exactly but um, one of the words that they used for this it's called the um, brown excellence in uh, the excellence in brown athletics initiative mm-hmm. which they cut nine sports they said they were creating more equal opportunity for men and women by cutting nine sports and they used uh, the word improving diversity while cutting men's track and field. Um, so one of the things that has been called to light through this, and there's a massive campaign going on in the background from not just Brown stakeholders, but individuals across the NCAA, coaches across the NCAA, um, particularly student athletes from the Ivy League um, have stepped up. There was an article that was posted last week from an individual who ran track from for Princeton, mm-hmm. um, essentially uh, breaking down how men's track and field is one of the most important and significant opportunities um, for student athletes of color. And so in the article, they reference research that shows that track and field is the lowest uh, cost right. um, consuming sport uh, in the high school level. So for an introductory, um, sport for someone to get involved with the average cost is like $150 a year. Whereas you have other sports like skiing, snowboarding, lacrosse, all these other sports that can cost upwards of multiple thousands of dollars. When you talk about the, um, the world we're in, in this moment and, uh, the opportunities that we want to continue to provide, uh, cutting men's track and field is a disgrace. And uh, there is so much advocacy around that right now. The university is standing strong, uh, which to me is pathetic. Um, 
Yeah, wow. it's just been really, it's really disappointing. I love that you, she's got a, I love your, your, your passion behind it. What, uh, you know, what, what, what's their reason? I, I don't know why, what's the reasoning behind cutting it? They just, it's a, it's a budget thing. It's a budget thing. Budget thing. And then they cut men's because they, but they don't have, I don't understand how that works. They don't, do they have football? So it's a, t- there's three qualifiers that go into, um, title nine compliance for any athletic department. Um, I know Georgetown's continuing to work on, you know, it's every university in the country really continues to work on its Title IX compliance, providing um, equal opportunity. Um, And in, you know, for whatever the uh, specifics and reasons were for Brown, they ended up cutting nine sports. Um, They actually elevated sailing. Hmm. Um, which is a sport that we all know is cost prohibitive. It's only accessible to members of the community, um, usually of great wealth. Um, and so there's a lot of argument, you know, going on at Brown, around Brown, stakeholders, alumni, student athletes. But can you imagine, like, put yourself in the position of a current student athlete on the Brown roster whose sport was just eliminated? Yeah. Right, like they came to Brown to be a student athlete at Brown and their sport was eliminated, right? And then you throw on top of it, like there's other universities that are going through this, um, but then you throw on top of it COVID, you've got um, the amount of transfers that have happened over the course of the last couple of months. I mean, the transfer game has been out of control in the NCAA since people have lost their outdoor track and field and season. And so they're getting another year, yeah. Yeah, so there's there's even less opportunity. The fact that Brown did this now, even as opposed to two months ago, has, has uh, created less opportunity for those individuals if they wanted to leave Brown to wow. find opportunity. So there's just, there's so many layers yeah. of wow. issue with this. Uh, most importantly, that we're taking away an opportunity um, for student athletes at Brown University um, that draws on student athletes of, of all color, uh, of, um, of the BIPOC community, of the white community, um, that we're eliminating more opportunity. And that, to me, is disgraceful. That's sad. All right, this podcast, of course, is sponsored by Pacers Running. Pacers Running with six area D.C. locations. Pacers Running is for every run. Uh, by this time this podcast comes out, uh, we will be close to reopening. Uh, we're targeting June 15th that we'll be able to uh, open our doors uh, to help customers. Uh, go to runpacers.com for all that information. Uh, this podcast also sponsored by Random Row Beer. Random Row Brewery in Charlottesville. Uh, it's not a family-owned brewery, uh, Docs, but it kind of is because the f- people who own it do have families. That is such a ridiculous statement, <laughs> um, and it's such an inside. You always give me a hard time know, about inside like jokes. Yes. This is this was never seen the light of day, so now you're just like people don't understand. But I gave you a hard time for saying that before. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, but you can uh, order random if you're in DC or the DC area. Random row beer can be ordered at coldcountrysalmon.com. Uh, so buy your random row beer. Or if you're in Charlottesville, you know, go to the tasting house because I believe they're open for business. If you're uh, if you want to go to the tasting room, you can sit outside and enjoy uh, a cold beer on a beautiful uh, summer Charlottesville day. All right, great show, guys. 
Thanks again to Allison Desir for joining us on today's edition of Pace the Nation. Uh, it's Allison Desir, AllisonMDesir.com. Find her on her website there. All right. For Julie Cully, for William E. Docks, this has been another edition of Pace the Nation. We will see you next week. watching a video on 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 instagram can i call you back <laughs> we got like 10 minutes sorry no we always <laughs> we always are like late and then we just like and then hey, you have dude. to rush me yeah, off yeah, yeah i know we rush you off yeah. we, poor docs i don't know why you put up with i us. don't know why either i don't know